my son caught me drinking in the garage and I remember that night I probably looked disgusting with a freaking handle of vodka tipped up when he comes out and catches me. Welcome to the Recovery Edge cast. My name is Alfredo and I'm an alcoholic. And today I'm sitting here with Eric. And uh, I met Eric at the Friday night meeting, correct? Yes. Uh, New Hope, right New there Hope. in, uh, well, it was in Firestone. It's still Firestone. Firestone, Frederick, kind of right on the line, I think. But yeah. It's all the same little community. <laughs> True that. How about you start us off with your sober date and home group? So my sober date is April 26th, 2019, and my home group is Wren Church, New Hope, um, like Frederick, Colorado. So you're almost to two years. Coming up on two years. Man, how do you feel? Amazing. I've, I've, never, I've never been more alive. I, I don't even look at my belly button birthday as, as my true date of birth anymore because I do feel as if my life is such a new experience and every day is so much more full than, than I ever could have even imagined. Nice. Um, why don't you give us a little background on how you grew up? So looking back, um, you know, I had, had a pretty good childhood, a pretty good upbringing. I mean, I had, I had a family, parents married, still married, um, um, aunts, uncles, relatives, my, my mom and dad, my mom kind of always worked in the school as I was growing up, um, kind of close to me, but not too close. Um, and then my dad worked, always, always worked hard, worked construction, um, started out working for some larger construction companies. And then him and his brothers started their own company in the early eighties. And, um, really dedicated to that, um, successful. And I remember there, it's funny cause there's not a lot of things I remember, but some things are fairly vivid. Um, I can remember even as a young, young boy, six, eight years old, wanting to stay up just so I could see my dad before I went to bed, even though he might not get home till 11 or 12 at night from work. Um, but I just wanted to spend more time. I didn't get a lot of time with him when I was younger. As I got a little older, got to spend more time with him. I actually started working for him, for him and his brother out of high school and spent a lot of time obviously with work and that might've raised some tensions, <laughs> created <laughs> some tense moments at home. It's hard to work and live with somebody, um, especially when you're coming into age and kind of at that point in your life when you're pretty sure you know everything and everybody else doesn't know shit. <laughs> hmm. So, um, but overall pretty good. Weren't, we weren't extremely wealthy, but didn't go without. Um, and, you know, my, my parents, like I said, with, with my dad and his brother starting the company and working hard there, not a lot of excess money, but I did have an aunt and uncle that I spent quite a bit of time with, did a lot of traveling with. So fortunate for those, those memories and things. But, uh, that was kind of growing up and then so starts life. <laughs> Let's jump into what led to your first drink, and you can kind of just give us the run-through of what it was like before, what happened, and what it's like today. All right. So I think when I was young, 12, 14, down and around that age, um, a lot of, uh, I lived over in Golden, that's where I grew up kind of golden Arvada border off of North Table Mountain. And quite a few of the neighbors in the 
neighborhood there worked for Coors Brewery. And um, our our neighbor right next door was a girl, Leah. She, her dad worked there at Coors. And they, all the guys that worked at Coors always had an endless stock of Coors beer in their garages. Wow. Gold mine. So <laughs> I think, you know, had snuck a beer or two, had a sip, had shared a beer here and there. Always thought it tasted pretty good. Maybe maybe had a little feeling of sorts, but not a not a lot of realization. But I did did always see a lot of party and there was always people around me. Everybody partied. My my parents had friends, they would get together, play cards and drink and all of my friends, their parents were the same way pretty much everybody that was the norm to me I didn't really know any different um anytime you got together with friends it was you know let's sit around and play cards or play games or talk and drink and uh I remember I can't remember exactly how old I was maybe 12 14 right in that that range um, had some, some friends of mine that my mom's best friend, it was actually her boys. We palled around together a lot cause they hung around a lot. And, uh, my friend, he was going to have a, he was going to sleep over one night. And I thought maybe it was time that we tried a little bit of whiskey. So I, I got creative. I thought, you know, dad was at work and mom was in the shower. I would sneak some whiskey and put it in a mason jar. And then I would just fill the bottle of whiskey back up a little bit with water. So nobody would know we took any whiskey out of there. <laughs> they always mix their drinks. So, you know, I thought maybe they wouldn't notice. Did they notice? Nobody ever said anything, but I'm pretty sure they noticed. Hmm. I know I would have. <laughs> yeah. So what was that night like then when you decided to, you know, get that whiskey? Well, looking back, looking back, I, I think at the time it was, uh, oh, let's, let's try this. Let's get, let's try this feeling that we see, but don't know if we really understand. I want to, I want to experience that. Looking at it from my standpoint now, it was that if I if I could have realized at at that time what I know now, I would have seen the difference between him and I. He had he had maybe three or four swigs off of that mason jar, and he was feeling a little goofy and a little bit tuned up, and I was as well. But I didn't want to stop. And pretty young person here with just a mason jar between two kids that's pretty good amount of alcohol and I remember thinking man what am I going to do when this is gone already I can I can I can see that memory deep in my mind now but at the time I probably wasn't even close to aware of that um proceeded to drink that whole jar of whiskey and threw up all down the hallway and into the bathroom and everywhere else got in trouble um i had to clean it all up and i think i got grounded can't quite remember that was a long time ago probably 30 years ago and uh but that was that was probably my my most vivid memory, my first drink, my first drunk for sure. Hmm. So you're about 14 here, 12 to 14. Somewhere right like in that. there. Um, did you just stop trying to drink whiskey or what were your habits like with alcohol after that? Did you take just take a break? until you were older yeah i don't think i i don't think i really took much of a break i think anytime i had a chance 
at that point we'd start sneaking beers from the garages the neighbors garages from our own house my own house um kind of wherever we could get it my friend that that i hung around with that night of my inception of my career there i think that's where it truly started (laughs) Hmm. um they lived over in arvada and i remember we'd go over there and had a neighbor that had ms he's in a wheelchair but he was a cool guy we always hung around and we would just hang around with him but we would we would walk into a little further into Arvada and walk to Seven Eleven, you know, and get sodas and candy and stuff. And got to the point he'd buy us some beers here and there, and so that's where we always kind of had a place to get some liquor. And then, of course, in my own neighborhood, I've always found somebody who would buy for us and. So by the time we were 16, we had some pretty reliable resources. And then I started working while I was in high school. I had a job. Um, I made hot wings. I worked at Willie's Wings in Arvada. And I was one of the one of the cooks, but also kind of got to where I was kind of a manager of sorts. They, didn't, they weren't too big on titles around there. Everybody kind of helped out, but... I I got put in charge quite a bit, but there was a couple of other older guys that worked there that were, a couple of them were 19, 20 years old, had fake IDs or just knew a place they could buy. There's another guy that was 22 and he would always buy for us. So by the time I was 16, 17, there wasn't a problem getting our own liquor and we had our own Myself and all my friends, we had our own jobs of some sort to start partying, and that's what we did. We would go to school, not very much. Um, school I found fairly boring. I don't know if they just didn't challenge me enough, or I didn't didn't do bad in school. I graduated well, um, did a little college. I have associate's degree, but... It wasn't about, it wasn't really about the job. It wasn't about school. It wasn't about human growth. Um, It was about what are we going to do this weekend? Where are we going to party? Where can we go party? Whose parents are going to be gone? Where are we going to go? So at that age, started getting to where, yeah, there was always somebody's parents were gone. If not, there were a couple couple of the guys that I ran around with, they had they had parents or a parent that didn't mind if we just partied in the basement or partied wherever as long as nobody was driving and nobody was running around. So that's what we did. So I remember about 18, I remember another friend of mine, we went in to Arvada, and a couple girls were with us in the back seat of his 69 Camaro. It was a pretty nice Camaro, a nice baby blue color, kind of baby bluish teal. And uh, talked to one of my buddies at work that got us liquor. We got a case of, case of Budweiser and a bottle of Bacardi 151. And we were being good. We threw it in the trunk. We were going to take it and go back to his place, and we were going to party. And um, got a little crazy at one of the intersections with the throttle. He got a little throttle happy, and Arvada's finest decided it was time to pull us young gentlemen over and have a little chat. <laughs> So I think maybe one of the girls, somebody had an open beer, so he decided it was time to search the car, open the trunk, and lo and behold, saw our beer. 
the beer's sitting there in the trunk and the bottle of Bacardi is sitting right in the middle of the spare tire. And I remember sitting there watching him because he was having us stand there watching him. And he took the beer out. I always heard the stories about the police, you know, dumping the liquor out on the curb and Mm -hmm. taking you home or sending you on your way or whatever. We hadn't really drank anything yet that night, so we weren't in that kind of trouble yet. (laughs) He didn't dump anything out. He took that beer and put it in the back seat of his squad car. I thought, you, we just filled his refrigerator. That kind of pissed me off a little bit. But then he, I know he looked at that bottle of rum and he didn't touch it. Hmm. He just said, all right, where are you guys going to party? I thought, oh, well, so we told him, he said, oh, let's do this. Let's call all your parents. We'll just go have a little meeting there. So he called all of our parents and we went back to my friend's house and all of our parents had to come and get the speech and. We all got in a little trouble over that. But once again, we were still pretty young. And different times back then, we none of us really got in a whole lot of trouble because we weren't out drinking and driving at least. Mm-hmm. But we did get in a little trouble over it. I think I was grounded for, or at least what you could say, try to be grounded at that age because I was pretty free and pretty rebellious. By that point, my dad and I were at each, at each other's throats quite a bit. I think my attitude, I know I was not a very good person at that time. Between the young testosterone and me just wanting to do what I wanted to do, I had no no intention of listening to anybody wiser, anybody with better ideas. It was just my way. Hmm. It was already starting pretty heavy. So then when around this age did you start, I mean, I'm not sure that this happened in your teenage years or before you hit 21 where your consequences or people started questioning your drinking. Did that happen before you hit 21? No, it didn't really. Um, So you might say that you had kind of a uh, typical teenage type of life. Typical. I mean, just getting in trouble every now and then, but nothing yeah, major. Nothing major. Okay. Nothing major. I had, uh, you know, I'd been in some fights, had had two or three guys chase me home one day from school saying they were going to kill me. So I ran in the house and grabbed my shotgun. That probably wasn't the best of moves. At least I hadn't had anything to drink that day. But <laughs> uh, um, nothing, nothing real big up to that point, but I did... I did start noticing something inside of me. Um, the only thing that I, I really know, I didn't feel like I really fit in anywhere. I didn't feel like I fit in whether I was at school or whether I was at work or whether, no matter where I was, I didn't feel like like I was okay, like I was comfortable. As I turned 21, right in that time, we started uh, kind of quit hanging out with with my younger friends as much because some of that was going in a really bad direction with some a couple of them were starting to get into some other drugs and other things that I didn't want to partake in. Up to that point, I really had only really only had alcohol and didn't have any interest and I was scared of other drugs because I had heard stories so I was hanging out with some other friends and still my best friend today I would say he uh we would we would go to the cowboy bars a lot because I I grew up a lot of my youth I also spent down on my uncle's ranch so spent quite a bit of time cowboying and ranch life and things like that and I've ridden the bulls and done some roping and a lot of other things like that and kind of felt a little bit comfortable in that in that cowboy lifestyle something about that maybe it was the 
the cowboy with the whiskey at the saloon or whatever, but it felt a little bit normal, maybe a little bit. So we'd go to the cowboy bars. We'd go to Cactus Moon up in Thornton, urban cowboy bar, and then uh, <laughs> Grizzly Rose. And that's when I really started noticing it that, um, you know, both both of my other buddies that I'd always go with, they <clears throat> they were wanting to go and maybe have a beer or two, but dance with a girl here and there. And I just didn't feel comfortable. So I just wanted to go so I could drink like at least, I don't know, five or six beers and start feeling pretty good. And then maybe play some pool and maybe get in a fight. And uh, that's kind of what I was chasing. I was interested in girls for sure, but I didn't feel like... um, I didn't feel like I really had a chance with any of them. I didn't feel like I was good looking enough. I was a little bit chunky. I've always been a little chunky. So I just didn't feel confident. So I just kind of thought, well, I'll just have beers and shoot pool and fight. That's fun. But uh, that's when I really started noticing that. Man, all these other people are just here having fun. And look at that. They're having a couple beers, and you're getting, like, shit-faced every night. That was my goal. But it still didn't really register. Now it's clear as a bell to me that, wow, <laughs> there it is, buddy. You, you, you're not doing the normal thing here with all these other people. You're not drinking normal in the normal atmosphere what you're supposed to do in that place. Maybe one of the five percenters or whatever it might be in there. Did anybody tell you this? Not so much there. Um, shortly thereafter, right in there, I think uh, my best friend and I, one, one year, we went down elk hunting down at the ranch, and um, my cousin down there, he got into marijuana, he went down to New Mexico State University and then ended back up back up in southern Colorado at the request of the state of New Mexico. <laughs> That's another story, not mine to tell. <laughs> but uh one night, you know, we'd we'd been hunting and or maybe we were down coyote hunting. Either way, we were that's what we were down there for. We stayed up. We had we all had some beers together, and then my friends they went to they went to sleep, and my cousin and I stayed up. And I think that was the first time I really smoked marijuana, and real marijuana. I think real real marijuana got pretty high, and that really upset my best friend. He uh, I disappointed him. I don't know if it was just the combination, if it was because we had drank quite a bit that night, and then I still had to commence to try to get high or whatever that was. If that's what it was that upset him so bad. But he was pissed the next morning. He's like, fuck it, I'm leaving your ass down here. You fucking figure out a way to get home. I was like, wow, man, you're my friend. Why are you doing this to me? <laughs> But now I I see that it's because I got out of control. I got way, way, way out of control. More so than normal. You know, more so than just the normal, ah, that's what he does. He just kind of gets lost, runs away a little bit, whatever. Now, yeah, that's all I was ever doing was running. But then it was just about... <clears throat> occupying time and and getting lost from everything 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 in my life that I couldn't face and I'm sure I'll get into that here shortly but so when did it finally turn on you I think it really started getting out of control I would say uh late 20s, maybe early 30s, and I'd been working for the family business. Um, My dad got hurt. He broke his tailbone, and then 
it created a snowball of medical issues and he just couldn't he couldn't take care of his duties so I kind of got pushed into that role because I had by then I had started learning some of the aspects of the business I had a pretty good understanding of not just the the work part of it but the business end of it as well and I think that's when I really started I started losing a little bit of grip and pressures and everything started catching up with me and then it became just a kind of a, a an outlet every day oh yeah you know I'll take care of my work and then I'll have some some whiskeys and that'll help me kind of tune out and calm down from the day and then I'll be able to to sleep and not too bad at first just a couple drinks here and there but then it, it got to where I was drinking every day and I think subconsciously I knew it was too much because I got to the point where I was starting to hide it from my wife at this point we'd gotten married and I thought that she might like if I was drinking so much so I would just hide it so I would do my work and then I would come home and then I would have my whiskey hidden in the garage and I would keep doing work and I would have whiskey and I would drink and then that's when it it started hitting that she caught me one night she caught me she caught me being devious I had a big insulated jug one of those big 64 ounce gas station things probably had about half or three quarter whiskey in it and a little bit of coke just to mellow it out or something what's in there and at that moment everything just kind of all the things that I hadn't been addressing in my life everything that I would just, ah, uh, I'll just make this go away for now and it'll be better tomorrow. All the things I just postponed and all the things that I ran from stuffed in the closet. And then in that moment, in the face of fear, in the face of getting caught, they poured out and I said, I had a problem. And uh, hurt my wife at that point, my son was born. She was scared, didn't know what to do. I was just beginning to realize how messed up things were. And then, uh, so I called my mom. My mom, she was pretty pissed. She was upset. She came over and she wasn't mad at me. She kind of got mean with my wife a little bit accusatory and whatnot and that I couldn't really wrap my head around that once again then probably because I my head wasn't clear um now I kind of understand it but at the time that you know it, it caused a lot of turmoil and newborn son living down in Arvada and well something's got to give a little bit here so she says well I'm gonna I'm gonna take Josh and go over to my mom's so she she left and then that was kind of a shit show in itself um for different reasons but the same I mean ultimately it's myself creating these things so it kind of had a realization at that point. I got to get a little bit of help. I got to do something. Um, didn't really know. I had heard the word alcoholic, I'm sure, by then. And I didn't really even grasp the concept. I think I probably had the everybody's normal idea of an alcoholic as the bum under the overpass, you know, with a brown bag. And... uh panhandling or whatnot never 
never, never thought about it. Never, I guess, never knew anybody in my life or my circle that was labeled as such or because everybody I knew drank and everybody I knew, especially in construction, um, every, that's what everybody does. So it's, it didn't really become a label that I was familiar with. So I didn't really understand anything about Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't know the ideology of it, the ins and outs of it, anything. But I reached out for help. I, I found a, at the time, had a doctor down there in, in that part. And uh, we, uh, he recommended a therapist. And I went to start seeing him and he was a good therapist. He was, he was a really kind man and didn't tell me, didn't tell me the things that were wrong with me. Didn't, didn't tell me what I needed to fix. He made me, he made me figure it out. So, you know, he worked with me to identify things in my life that, that were issues. And I didn't really realize at the time he talked a little bit about Alcoholics Anonymous, but he didn't get to the point where he was telling me to go find a meeting or go to do this. He was kind of more talking about the principles and looking back on it, I don't know as if he might've been an individual that knew about the program or was possibly even in it. But anyways, he, at the time he, I, I actually had looked at quite a few of the steps and he had me get a 12 step book at the time. Um, and I studied that and I did some worksheets and I did a lot of that stuff and I identified some things and I was doing really good there for a while. I didn't, I didn't drink for, five or six years and then after that I just started having a drink or two here and there life's pretty good there for a while I was getting sorted out were you sober or getting sober I was sober I was I was sober at that time for a long time I didn't really drink anything and then so I guess I wasn't I was not drinking Mm -hmm. I don't think I was ever mentally sober because I never fully addressed alcoholism, but I never really came to the realization of who who or what I was. So then we got up into a little further down the road. Um, Timelines are messing with my head a little bit here. But anyways, life progresses, and I get get into another construction company. My dad and brother decided they were going to retire. I chose not to continue the family legacy there, decided to go to a heavy highway company and see if I could learn more. And right now you're still not drinking. Right Right now I'm not drinking. What's keeping you from drinking or what is stopping that urge at this point? I I think life was good. Life was good. I wasn't feeling a lot of pressures. Um, And you're still not going to AA at this point? No. Okay. Um, Still... Still studying that 12-step book that I, I still have today. Um, it's not the 12 and 12. It was sponsoring just, yourself here? Yeah, kind of sponsoring mm-hmm. myself, just kind of trying to figure things out whenever I'm a little confused. Mm-hmm. And then the the economy tanked. Started feeling the pressures. Started feeling the pressures, and the economy got bad. And... Um, the company I worked for had to make changes and I was a casualty of that. Started, uh, asking my dad for a little bit of help if we needed it. And I was chasing, chasing a job and I'd start drinking a little bit here and there. Um, what made you think that would be a good idea at this point? Just to kind of take the edge off, just to calm me down a little bit. 
How long had you gone without a drink? Well, I'd say six years, maybe. Did anybody else know? I think I think my wife could see, you know, she knew I wasn't drinking before and then I don't think she really knew that I started drinking again. Um not right kind away. Kind of right, yeah, right out of the gate. You know, I'd have a drink here and there and nothing mm-hmm. big, but then What was her reaction? Do you remember when you started again and she was aware of it? I think there were other things going on. Um, I could, I think looking back, I see a little trepidation there, a little bit of, I don't think she liked it. At the end of the day, I know Mm -hmm. she didn't like it, and I could probably see that. Yeah, I'm wondering if anybody had came out and said, warning, warning. No no real big warnings, at least that I can recall. Mm -hmm. Um. I think I just went straight into the mode. Well, if I if I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna have to hide it. I'm gonna have to hide it. Make sure nobody gets hurt, and then it'll just be my thing. And that's when I started. I started hiding it, really hiding it, and and then I by then, you know, I've heard enough stories being being out in the world. Well, if you're gonna drink you need to drink you know if you drink out if you drink vodka you don't have to nobody will smell it and it's clear you can't well maybe that's a good idea maybe that's what i need to do so i started drinking vodka started hiding it and then things started getting dark um it just got to where there was a disconnection i was always i was always gone mentally i was gone um, my physical health went to shit. I did get a job for an outfit out of Longmont and the owner, um, the owner in transition was the son taking over and just tough situation overall, but I didn't have tools to deal with that. So I just started drinking more to get away from that instead of facing it and really looking at what it needed to happen in my life. And, uh, would never drink at work, would never, didn't even stop at bars. And that was one of the things even before, when I wasn't drinking, the guys at, at the company I worked for in, in town, they'd be like, come on, let's go have beers. Nah, I don't drink, man. I just knew I don't, I don't, because I could remember that much that if I go start drinking, then I'll probably want four or five or six beers and I don't want to be driving a company truck around having a bunch of beers in me. So I just wouldn't go to drink. And the general superintendent even told me once, you know, not hanging out with the crew, not going and having beers, it could hurt your career. You need to spend that social time. Fast forward back to the future and then uh, started drinking more and more. So I would, I would stop at the liquor store through the day and, I'd buy a bottle and then I would dump it into water bottles and that's how I would sneak it home and just be laying in the back of the truck or whatever. And and I would just get disconnected after work. I would be gone. And that's when my wife started saying, you know, a relationship's like a garden. If you don't water it and fertilize it and take care of it, it's going to die. I just kept thinking, well, I can, you know, I'll just... I'll be the nice guy. I'll do these nice things and my way. <laughs> I'll do it my way and then everything will be fine. But I wasn't listening to anybody. I wasn't listening to my best friend telling me right there that, man, I don't like where this is. Maybe she just needed to be more blunt. Maybe she didn't. She, I don't know if she really knew what was going on. Because then it all came, it all hit ahead and, my son caught me drinking in the garage, and I remember that night. I probably looked disgusting with a freaking handle of vodka tipped up, and he comes out and catches me. That's when you got a problem, when you're drinking right out of a handle. Mm. That's a problem. That That's where it really blew up, and then that's when it all got out in the open, and no, no wonder you piece of shit, this, that. And she had moved into the 
had a nice house up here up north and she, she went to American Furniture and bought a day bed and she moved into the basement. She moved into the basement and I was upstairs and every day I would cry and I would knock on the door and ask her to come back to bed and come back upstairs and all the time still fucked up still lying about it. at this point it's bad i'm lying about it and oh well whatever so we decided it was time to make changes and we started talking about divorce and i had started giving up all will and i didn't realize everything that had transpired by then i had lost my job in longmont and i was still looking again and bounced around between another couple other jobs and I was freaking worthless when I wasn't working. My parents were helping out with money. So in my head, everything was fine. The bills were still getting paid. What's the big problem if I have a couple drinks? And then, uh, yeah, it just got to where everything was up in the air. Didn't know what was going to happen. And then, I don't know if it was if it was just the way it was supposed to be or if, my dad's intuition or whatever or a bunch of bad decisions whatever you say you know i gotta we can't keep making the mortgage payment for you so need to figure it out at that point i just i just felt like the whole world maybe turned on me or something and i was just like ah fuck it then um, i'm gonna put the house on the market just sell it and we'll figure this shit out as we go and whatever now i'm in that oh the whole world's against me and what the fuck did i ever do and we were still having talks about getting divorced we weren't really communicating at all and then one night they're like oh we're gonna go moonlight bowling and um that was april 26th of 19 they went bowling and i commenced to start drinking again i drank a bottle I just had like a pint right there and I, I cleared that and then I thought, man, that's it. I'm done drinking. I'm going to quit now. So I managed to take that, take that bottle and hide it in the trash can. And then I figured I would just go to sleep, wake up the next day, and then we'd start just fixing everything. Then I walked back in the house and I thought, man, I don't feel very good. <laughs> kind of felt like I was having a heart attack so I called 911 fire department paramedic showed up and said oh you're going to the hospital and then I woke up like I guess I got to the hospital I can't really remember a whole lot of that night because they started doping me up and then they intubated me I was out for 16 days roughly or whatever but they had me on morphine and pentothal and whatever. And I was in renal shutdown, so they had had me hooked up to dialysis and um, ventilators and all kinds of stuff to try to get my body going because I was dead. What happened? Uh, gallstones, pancreatitis, um, yeah, it just the liquor took its toll on my body. It it started the the renal shutdown and the pancreatitis. I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> I thought if you got you know if if you had a problem with liquor, then it was your liver, or your kidneys that went. I didn't know it was your could be your pancreas or whatever else. But that's where that's where it starts getting good. <laughs> All right. But I don't know how long we want to go. Um, so what at that moment you say that's where it got good. You probably had a spiritual experience. I did. Right here? I did. Tell us about that and uh, what happened. So, you know, a lot of being in the hospital, I was I was out of it. I was probably jovial and joking around with nurses and whatnot because I didn't have a full grasp of where I was or what was going on yet. But as I started 
coming off of the dope that they had me on. Um, it was weird because I was sitting in the bed. I can remember kind of laying in the bed and I was scared. I was scared because I didn't know what was going on yet. I really, I was just starting to really, my senses were coming about and I was like, wow, what's going on? And, but then all of a sudden it was like this, this calm, just, just like this peace. And I was sitting there and I look at that now as like, you know, everybody talks about a spiritual awakening, a bright light or crossing over all these other things at some point there in the hospital. It's like, that's what I had, but it wasn't a brilliant bright light. It was just like a warmth, like a comfort. While I was doped up, I was, I had these nightmares, these visions, these dreams of all, there was like a miss, like a, a mod podge of places and people and things and everything that I'd done in my life. And it was all mashed together and it was ugly and it was like a maze, like, like a trap. No matter where I went, there was something like demons right around the corner waiting to get me. And I was chasing things and running and, but then it was like, I had somebody with me that was holding my hand like I was going to be okay. Like I was going to be okay. And that's when I started identifying the difference between um, my belief in God. I realized that I'd always believed in God. But I had a new feeling. I had a feeling like, you know what? If I, if I just try it different, if I do it different, it's going to be okay. However it ends up, it's going to be okay. And I think that was that faith taking over. It was, it was the realization that I'm still here for some reason. There must be a purpose. I better start listening to somebody else besides me because my way didn't work. (laughs) My way went bad. So that's, that was kind of the start. Tell me about your first meeting. So right before all that, we had been going to church and trying to, trying to bring it together. And my wife had noticed a flyer for a meeting at this local church. So brought that up when I got out of the hospital I said well what about checking this out I said yeah let's do it <laughs> she drove me over there and I walked in there and I I was scared to death I didn't know what to expect I didn't know anything at that point and I was willing to admit that for sure <laughs> I didn't know what else to do or where else to go with it. So I walked in there and went to check it out. And I'm pretty sure right there I didn't, I know a lot of people say they had a hard time saying their name and saying they were alcoholic, but I really didn't have a hard time saying that that night (laughs) because... The truth had hit me square between the eyes. I was there. But the initial reaction was, wow, I just said, I'm Eric and I'm an alcoholic in front of all these people I've never met before in my life. And, wow, nobody like even batted an eye. It's like... That wasn't too bad. Let's try this. So that's, you know, I started, I started going to the meeting and I started listening and I started going wherever I can. Then I got to where I wanted to talk a little bit. Then a couple of times I thought maybe I shouldn't talk. (laughs) And then sometimes I still think maybe I shouldn't talk. But if I feel like there's something I need to say, I need to say it. So 
that's what I did. I started listening. I started listening and I heard, I heard my story. I heard other people's stories and I heard, I heard the same problem that I had been dealing with my entire life. I didn't fit in. I didn't fit in because I was doing things that don't work for me. I can't drink like a gentleman. I don't have the ability to stop it, to shut it off. It's not that I can only have one drink and I get, (coughs) I'm a lightweight or anything like that because that's not the case. It's that I have one drink and where's this going to end up? Nobody knows. (laughs) So if we fast forward or just think about the last couple of years now um, in the program, how would you say things are going today? And what did you do to get here? Well, you know, I've gone to my my schedule's weird because I got out of the hospital and for the first first couple of weeks I couldn't hardly walk at all on my own. For the first month I had to use a walker. I couldn't hardly get around at all. Um, so I'd get to a meeting whenever I could and then I knew I had to get to work. I had to do something and I had to start getting healthy. So I was doing exercises at home, and then while I was in construction, I did a job, big building, little company a lot of people might heard of, maybe Amazon. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Thought, well, it's a job. Let's let's see. Maybe if I had to walk around that place, maybe it'll help me get in shape. So I went and I applied, and I got hired. I started working, and I got assigned to a night shift. That was weird. I'd worked nights before, but it made it weird for my program because a lot of the meetings are at night and the day meetings are at times when I need to be sleeping to work at night. So it kind of made it hard. But, uh, you know, I was able to have the schedule that allowed me to always have my Friday open for my home meeting. And then whenever I could, I'd catch a meeting here and there, other places. And uh, as I started, I started sitting in the rooms and talking a little and then realized I was getting getting a little bit of steam behind it. And I thought, well, maybe it's time I should get a sponsor. So started looking for a sponsor asked the guy he said yes and turned out to be a pretty good sponsor i think and we worked the steps together and we worked the steps together in kind of a similar way that my therapist did it he didn't tell me what was wrong with me and that was one of the things i always knew earlier in my life people always told me what was wrong with me or what i needed to do they didn't help me find the answers they didn't help me understand what was up so that's what I did and just worked the steps worked the steps and if I got stuck somewhere I worked it I worked it harder and I worked it until I got past it and I didn't run from it but I've been able to get healthy you know since then I've I've lost a bunch of weight I've gotten off a bunch of medications. Um, People, there's people in my life that like me. Um, They actually do like me again. Um, Don't want to run away from me again. Um, My wife, my wife even likes me. (laughs) My kids are okay with me. My kids are, are proud to have a dad again that they didn't have. And... You know, there was like there there's this partnership of the faith that I found and and my higher power and taking me to the rooms and the rooms spawning that faith, maybe starting and back and forth and just working together and the spirituality and knowing that if I do this, it'll be okay. 
And as I started working the steps and started realizing if I figure these things out, things are okay. And I can get through these things. So that's what's happened. I've, I've got to a place where I can understand things. And I have this toolbox that is so deep now. I can handle things that sometimes I'm afraid it feels like I, I know more than maybe I should. Because I feel like I can tackle the world. But I don't want to get too cocky. Because... That demon's always lurking behind the corner if I let my guard down. It wasn't too long ago I talked about that. I was walking through the grocery store. I was just going to get a jug of milk, and I rounded the corner, and I tripped. I almost fell on my nose, and I turned around and looked, and sure, there was beer laying there on the floor in a stack. And I thought, shit, that stuff's still trying to kill me, and I'm not even drinking it. (laughs) Yeah, it's everywhere now. I mean... Out here at the grocery stores in Colorado, which is kind yeah. of a new thing, but uh, it looks like it's everywhere. It's like, man, they yeah. put this in every aisle now. Stacks. Everywhere. It's hilarious. <laughs> so then um, this first year that you got, well, you're almost at two years. In your first year, though, if you could go back, which is just pretty recent, and give yourself a piece of advice in that first year, what do you think you would say? Well, I would say, I would say a little spin on the typical keep coming back, but I would say never give up no matter how hard it gets. Cause there were, there were nights that I was sitting in this house crying to myself at three o'clock in the morning when I needed to be sleeping. But just because I was stuck on a step, just because I couldn't figure a part out and feeling the pain and addressing things that I had never felt because I didn't know how to do that when I was younger. So if you keep, if you keep working it, if you keep working it, it works. So don't give up. And if I were to ask you, how did you quit? How would you answer that? God. 100%. Wasn't, it wasn't on me. (laughs) Something else saved me. There is no way, no way you can do this alone. Whatever your higher power looks like, you need that higher power of some sorts and the fellowship and the work, the work, the work, every part of it, work in the steps, the service, all of it together. You do it, it works. <laughs> but you cannot do it alone. You can't. I tried it. I tried it. And for a long time, I was in the rooms. Didn't even realize that I had already tried this sobriety thing once before. A lot of people talk about the first time I went through the program. I didn't go through the program the first time, but I kind of did. But I was alone. I didn't have the fellowship. I didn't have... I had I had the belief part, I had the a little bit of the higher power part, and I had the therapist part, but I didn't have the fellowship. I didn't have the service. I didn't have the true step work with a sponsor with another that has been down this road before. It's amazing. Thanks, Eric, for sharing your experience, strength, and hope with us. And thank you listeners for checking us out again. I hope you enjoyed Eric's uh, story, his experience, strength and hope. Me and Eric go to the same group on Friday nights and it's been a pleasure to watch him grow in recovery. Listeners, don't forget you can check us out at recoveryedgecast.com. Also find us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, wherever you like to check out 
favorite podcasts. Uh, feel free to share us on Facebook and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you.